Before we start, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a little pop up here. Don't miss the event of the year. Al, how do you think how do you feel about missing Zoomtopia? I would feel awful about it. October 3rd to the 4th in San Jose, California, or virtually. You know what? I'll be busy. I think it's uh, Toyota Toyota Athon is happening at the same time. <laughs> it's season two of the Gray Zone. We didn't just stop uploading for no reason for months on end. No, we've been planning a second season where things are much more professional, except I'm eating my dinner as we talk. It's season two. This is the Gray Zone. Season two. Hello, Internet. <laughs> How quality was that intro? Pretty good. And Pretty just great. for the listeners, that was the first take. <laughs> yeah, surprising. Hard to tell, right? But yeah, <laughs> first take. Big one. All right, let's get into it. Training formats, if we want to call it that, or types of on-court training. I think, I mean, people are obviously aware of this, but I don't know if um, how much attention people are paying to this. And, and I know I deliberate on it and go back and forth. But obviously, you know, there's a... The, the predominant model, certainly in North America, is kids are either doing four to a court training or they're doing, uh, usually it's called private lessons one-on-one. Um, and that has different names all over the world, whether it's individuals or or indies or, or just one-on-ones. Um, <clears throat> but you also see lots of places where you get, uh, you know, two players to a court. That's a lot of what we do here in Sweden is two to a court. You also see places that are work predominantly on a three to a court model. Um, and then even, even, on the four to a court model, you sometimes have, uh, you know, just one group of four. Other times you have like a big team sort of camp style training where you've got two, three, four, five courts going and multiple coaches and it's all one, all run as one big thing. And obviously we're all aware of these different formats, but I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, the pros and cons and where, where do we want the balance to lie, right? Because there's some context where players are going to be doing a ton of four to a court um, and then a couple hours a week of, of, of one-on-one with a coach. And there's other environments, like I said, where players are going to be doing pre- predominantly two to a court, two players, one coach. And that's that's mostly all that they're doing. Other players who are you know working with a private coach and they're one-on-one all the time. So there's different contexts. And I think it's interesting to look at the, you know, the pros and cons and and, and when each one is right. For sure. And I think I'll start off by saying the the annual planning of a player or the the age of an athlete certainly impacts all that stuff. Right. Where my, my general feeling is yeah. athletes that are sort of under 12 are more likely to have more extensive times with a private coach. Or it just seems that's historically what has happened, because I think you're probably laying more of a, a technical foundation in those years. Um, and I, I think the the need for one on one coaching I wouldn't say diminishes as a player gets older, but I think it's easier for a strong coach and a strong player to get a lot more done individually in less in less time. What do you think? I think that makes sense, but I'd also counter with the fact that as you get older and better, the quality of work you can do on four to a court just because of the space mm-hmm. um, is really limited. Like you need you need to be able to use the full court to do stuff. And and this is my big pet peeve is the quality and quantity of feedback that I can give as a coach, if I'm watching four players versus two or one is very different. Sure. I mean, I I can't argue there. Right. So I think that's why the places that seem to be the most successful, it seems like those places do the most amount of sort of two players on a court (laughs) training, which there's so many reasons why it can be challenging to have that near your environment. I mean, just court space and 
the finances related to it, right? But um, yeah, I, I just think overall, it's like how do we how do we put players in situations where it's more two players on the court training? And that's not to say we can't be effective with four players on the court because the reality is we have to be. But um, I mean, going back to your initial question, it's like there's there's lots of these different options, and so maybe if, if I had asked you Zach, like if you were to set up a schedule for an under twelve player, let's say, and maybe we'll go through the age groups a little bit, what do you think would be a, the appropriate amount of like private to semi to group training for an under 12 player that wants to be a professional yeah i mean it's you're it's tough to say i mean it's been a while since i've since i've coached under 12s or at least coached them you know full time or extensively but i think the you know, the tricky part too is that with four to a quarter formats like that is the social aspect is greater too mm-hmm. right the individual hours are so important so beneficial and, and same thing with with two to a court but um, but you lose that social aspect or that, that, that team, team bonding. Um, so I do think, like you said, under 12 level, there might be, there might still, or there likely is still some, some technical work that needs to be done. And and the best way to, to accomplish that usually is with an individual, uh, with an individual session. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if we look at, if we say, uh, you know, an under 12 is, is training is on court. First of all, I mean, that's, that's another discussion. And of course, plenty of people have spent more time into it, invested more time in it and, and written about it. But the, that's the other question is how many hours on court should they be doing it under 12? But if we, if we ballpark it, I don't know if, if I, if there'll be gasps from the audience when I say this, but if a 12 year old is doing, you know, 14 to 18 hours a week on court. Yeah. That's too much. Do you think? High end. I mean, no, you're probably, probably yeah. right. Generally around 12 to 18. Yeah. 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 So, but so let's call it 14 then. Um, like I said, it's been a while since I've, since I've coached 12 year olds, but let's, so let's call it, you know, 14 hours. Um, then I'm probably looking at three to four hours individual. I'd say the same. And then probably split the rest between four to a court and two to a court. Yep. Maybe. Is it? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Do you think there's reasons outside of the obvious to do with like space and finance as to why we don't see more semi-private training? Because this is something even in in our club environment that I, I think like we have to be a lot better at, which is like, I think we do a really good job in scheduling all the, the group training, the photo report stuff, and we do a relatively good job with the private stuff. Um, but I think there's a lot of reasons why the two, two to a court semi-private stuff could be more beneficial to you. Do you think there's reasons outside of the obvious why that doesn't happen more? I think there's a couple. The first, as you said, is the finances and the space of it, obviously. But the second is, I think, for one, is that people have this idea of what a private lesson is, mm-hmm. which is like coach walks out with a basket of balls and it's sort of like, you know, if it's an, like, you know, what do you want to work on today? And here's the objectives of our lesson. And here's what we're going to get done this hour. And I think and. And I think that's, I think that's the vision that, that we have of, of what a private lesson is. And so then you add a second player in it's like, well, this doesn't work. How am I supposed to accomplish both person's objectives and how am I supposed to fix his technique and his technique at the same time? That's not going to work, but that's not the point of the session. The point of the session is that you have more space and you have more individualized attention. Um, but there, but it's still like a quote unquote group session in the sense that the players are sparring with each other and drilling with each other. Um, so I think it's, I mean, I really, I don't know for sure, but I'm just, I'm just throwing out ideas here, but I think it's also, I think it's like, we don't encounter any of that in our coach education in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. There's no discussion of how to run a session like that. There's no mention of it. You don't see it. 
Um, and I think it's just, yeah, you don't see them a lot of places, so they don't even enter into the the frame of reference. Yeah. Um, but I think also now that I'm now that I'm spitballing, but I think also like you know so much is pay like pay to play in in Canada where yeah. it's like you pay for per hour of group training, you pay per hour of individual training or private lesson. And so yeah. then to pay for a semi-private lesson, I think there's a certain pressure on the coach that like, man, this kid expects to have his back end fixed in this hour. And this kid expects to have a serve fixed in this hour and they're paying money for this. And if I get, if today I have to give more attention to this kid, then that kid's going to feel like he got, or the kid's parents is going to, are going to feel like they got, uh, they got screwed out of their money. So right. uh, it kind of, yeah, puts a lot of pressure on the coach. Yeah, it could be for sure. Um, to piggyback on that, do you think the reason why we've one of the reasons why we see way more private stuff is and as opposed to semi is just because of the perception of what a parent thinks a private is versus a semi is, which you're kind of alluding to right now? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, I think there's yeah, there's ideas of what these sessions are are meant for. But again, it also goes back it goes back to the to the 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 pay to play thing, right? Mm. Because if a parent is paying for a group session four on a court um you know i'm ballparking it again here but let's say they're paying 25 bucks an hour right something like that i don't know inflation these days i've been out of canada for a few years now but maybe it's more but let's say 25 bucks an hour and then your private you know your your private session bills out at you know 80 bucks an hour or whatever so then your semi-private bills out i mean usually most clubs i think upcharge but let's say they don't it's still being billed out at 40 an hour Right. Yeah. So the parents going, OK, well, I'm paying 15 extra dollars an hour here. I better be getting like more individual attention and they better fix in their strokes and all that stuff. And so I think, yeah, if you see the two kids playing and they're just hitting cross courts or they're doing two cross one line or whatever, and you go like, what the hell? Like, yeah. well, I, you know, why am I paying extra for this? But of right. course, they, you know, they don't understand that you're getting extra more. Like, as I said, more court space and more feedback and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I don't I mean, I wouldn't personally go down a road of setting up a lot of three on like three players in a coach training. Cause I think there, there might not be a lot of difference between like three players in a court and four players in a court. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's different sense of like, certainly there's well the potential for what is it? 33% more volume per, per player if there's less, but it, it, I don't feel like coaches go out of their way to schedule three players in a court for training. Right. It's usually like, it's usually a private or it's usually a semi or it's usually a, a four person group. I think I think generally certainly that's the case. I've heard of I've heard of places that operate on like uh everything is three three players per court per coach. Um and I think I think the argument was that like yeah, it's a little bit easier to do full court training and you can do so many two-on-one drills and things like that and really 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 push the one person. Um and it's kind of a compromise financially between the four and the two. So I have heard of places that operate uh like like that, but I don't think it's particularly common. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the other thing that I wanted to 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 think about, I think it's slightly more interesting because, as you said, it's so much dependent on age and stage development and and so on. And each, you know, you always have to look case by case and also what finances allow. But yeah. one of the things that I think is interesting, as I alluded to, is the social aspect and the culture aspect of this, right? Because I think there's so many benefits, uh, tennis wise, in having two to a court, but I'm curious on the the social and the cultural aspects of having four to a court and having big uh you know camp style training um and and just building that sense of of community and 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 team what do you think yeah well i think i'll start by by telling a story where two years ago at um at tsu with our itf group 
um, I kind of went out of my way to to do something that I thought was going to be more special for for the group where we had kind of three or four players in our ITF group. So most days of training, it would be like a three to one ratio. And we'd have some players that would drop in from time to time, but it was really just sort of three or four players that were there consistently uh, five days a week sort of thing. And my whole thing was like, yeah, it's going to be like, it's going to feel way more individualized. We're going to feel like way more together. Um, and I thought I could be a lot more impactful like that. And very quickly, the sessions all sort of felt like quite drawn out, like quite repetitive because so much of our training is repetitive. That's what we sort of do as coaches, you know, and, um, and it just felt stale for like the whole year. And I was like, okay, well, the, the, and it just felt some sort of weird way about it. Anyway, the next season we were like, for, for a variety of reasons, the next season we're like, all right, let's just like, let's blow up the ITF group. Let's let more players in and stuff like that. And it's, again, there's many reasons for that. But the energy right away, the first session when we, when we had larger groups was off the charts. It was like, it was way more fun. People were way more active. The kids were sort of socially interacting with each other way more. There was more of like this, this fight of where you fit in the hierarchy, which I thought was really interesting. Cause I think, I think players in general are very aware of like who might be the strongest or the least strong in the group. I think there's like battling associated with that. So that's a long winded, like personal story where I have found that the larger the environment for the most, most cases um, can lead to a lot more advantages in like a lot of those things. Um, so yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on like, how important it is to have have large groups and have large groups that push each other, especially yeah. if all the players are sort of working towards the same goals, which is a, a tough, like that. That's a tough thing to sort out. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah. Talk about that. I mean, I mean, how how do you handle that when some players are going to be more committed than others, and 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 players are going to be coming there for different reasons. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so tough. Like, hey, I think, I think it's really tough because we all of us would probably say in a perfect world that every player that trains with us is com committed to like a complete schedule with us, right? Where like every hour of their annual plan is taken care of by somebody at on uh, like your academy staff or our academy staff or like who's taking care of everything. But that's not the reality. I, mean, I found e even this year coming up, it's like we have so many kids now that are doing two days a week and three days a week, and we only have a handful of kids that are really doing a, a full slate schedule with us so i think it's i think it starts with this general communication is to be like what it is that an athlete's looking for um and then being on the same page where if like if they if they're private coaches elsewhere they're semi-private coaches elsewhere like everybody being on the same page in terms of like what is it you're looking to get out of these group sessions um because i think like those are the big things that lead to a player or a coach being unhappy when there's uncertainty about like what are the roles and responsibilities when you're here both from a player perspective and and a coach perspective thoughts I got I got two I guess follow up questions, but the first is, and maybe this is putting you in the hot seat, and we can we can we can edit it out if we need to. Yeah. But last I heard, um, ORC and Ace had this agreement that they weren't going to take any players who did sessions elsewhere. It was like you have to yeah. be with us one hundred percent of the time. First yeah. of all, am I correct on that? Uh, yeah, that's I'm I'm pretty pretty positive that's the case. Yeah, but yeah. I think most of us. I think a lot of us start with that in mind. Like I think every academy would would say would that would be like uh, I don't know what do you call it like one of the commandments of most academies. Mm. But then the the actual implication of that, like how do you like how do you actually do that, is different than saying that you're going to do it, right? Right. Yeah. So I guess, uh, yeah. So I guess my follow up then is is you know, 
how do you feel about that? And do you, do you have any preference for, I mean, I guess you, I guess you alluded to it, you know, the, your, your dream or your vision is that everyone is there with you hundred percent of the time, but yeah. I don't know. I still feel pretty strongly that that's the ideal, the optimal setup is when the player is, is with a hundred percent. Now, of course yeah. you have to have the responsibility then as the home, as the, as the one in charge, as the leader to then say, Hey, today, I think we should go to this place to have a session to play with these guys. Cause you haven't played yeah. with these players in a while or, Hey, I want to take you to this coach to see what he or she has to say. Yeah, yeah. You have to have that responsibility to make sure it's not stale and to make sure you get outside, outside hitting outside advice and so on and so forth. But I'm still of the opinion that that's the optimal setup. Um, so I agree, I'm, I'm but curious I think to, to piggyback on that. I totally agree. It's optimal, but it's like, we don't live in this world where everything is going to be exactly the way we want it to be. Right. And so I'm finding more and more, it's like, we, it's more about understanding what the optimal situation is, but then also having the ability to tailor things as you need. And, and most of the times it's like, we probably have to tailor things more than not. And like one of the examples I'll give on that is like when I was, I was working with a college boy a couple of years ago, who was like very strong. And he was, it was just before he went away to school. And one of the things that he really needed is he really needed somebody that um, played at a higher tempo consistently than what our groups could offer or any of our coaches could offer. So the conversation was like, okay, like why don't, why don't you go, and train a bit with this this guy named Pavel Kranich, who I think used to be top five out in the world, like really good player. Um, and they did a lot of good work together. But that's the type of thing where as much as it was our ideology that all of our players do everything with us, there came this moment where it was going to be more beneficial for the player to to leave our environment to get what he needed somewhere else. And he still did a lot of stuff with us as well. So I think it's like that situation where it's like, what might be in a perfect world was not the best situ- was not the best outcome for that player. Do you know what I mean? And so that's where I think with like the ORC and the ACE ideology of like, you do everything with us. It's like, well, first off, can they, can they offer everything to every player that they have? And for a club like ORC or ACE, like they, they, they both train in environments that have tons of court space and maybe they can do everything themselves. But when talking about on our end, we're like a shitty four court facility where we're quite limited in, in what we can do. So I understand sometimes if players are like, well, I, I might go here or there for other things. Um, like, I kind of understand that. Like, I get that because it might be more beneficial to them that there might be some other things that other places could offer that we can't offer for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the distinction for me. Absolutely. I think you have a responsibility. If you can't offer what is necessary for them, then absolutely you have responsibility to say, hey, yeah, go go elsewhere and let's let's help you sort that out. I think where a lot of the disagreements or the the struggles come in is when that isn't the case, right? So let's yes. say, and I'm just sure. hypothetical here, but let's just yeah. say you have you have a perfectly good training group five days a week, whatever, in your home environment, and this kid comes in and they want to do uh, two days with you, but then there's a slightly better group in their eyes anyway at another club or another academy, and they want to go there Wednesday, Thursday because they get think they get to hit with this 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 good player or whatnot. Yeah. I think yeah. that's that's the challenge. And yeah. then those and we situations that exact situation recently. We just had that exact situation that we were trying to deal with uh as, as recently as this week, you know what I mean? So it's so I get it. And I, and I and how do you handle that? Well, that was it was difficult. And the I mean it was difficult because we'd also felt like we had done a lot for the player that wanted to go somewhere else. So I think there's some situations where like how beholden are you to a player or how like how beholden is that player to your academy and this is why i said when we were talking offline at the start it's like 
I don't think I owe my players anything. I don't think my players owe me anything. And that's part of the transactional part of this whole thing. Right. But in the same sense, like ego still plays in a role in this, both from the coaches, coaches side of things and the, the parent or player side of things. Right. Where like, obviously when it, when a player comes to you and says, Hey, there's a couple of days a week that I might want to go somewhere else. If I believe that we can do the job better than the other place and have the environment that they need, then certainly it impacts my ego or like it certainly get upset about it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm not sure if I answered your question there at all, but I, I don't know. It's uh well, my, my only follow-up is directly like, so I'm, I mean, I don't like to use the word let because it makes it sound like you're the, the, the God controlling what they do, but you let them go or do you like, you let them do two days with you and two days with the other place. Or do you say, sorry, that's not how we do things in this specific yeah, case. I mean, the initial, the initial response was that's not how we do things. Yeah. Uh, and then there are several conversations that happened after that, which um, led to us softening our stance on it, which I can't tell if it's a good a good thing or or not, because I, I think the reality is, I think for our program, I'm curious this, like, I don't think situations are always black and white. And it would be great to have rules where it's like, well, you're not going to do everything with us. It's black and white. Then you're not going to be with us. But every situation is slightly different. We've certainly told players that in the past, but I don't know. It's it's always tricky because there's certainly some benefit to even if a player's going to stick around for a couple days, if they can have a positive influence on your other players that are full-timers, it's like, is that something you, like, do you have an obligation to the, the players that are committed to you to, to help them get the training in their own environment? That's going to be the most beneficial to them. And does that mean keeping players around a little bit who you might normally not keep around in a situation? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, listeners, you can just insert your own gray zone joke here. Um, but yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. But I think that also then goes to sort of roles and responsibilities and the idea of like, are you a are you a, a player at our academy or are you a guest player? Yeah, right. Because sure. I because like you said, you like what's your responsibility to the players who are with you one hundred percent, right? Yeah. And if you want to provide good sparring for them. And then it's like, well, okay, well, I can have the opportunity to have this player here a couple of days a week, right? Yeah. I yeah. think where it gets tricky is then, well, you know, what's your responsibility to that player, the one who's here two days a week, right? Are they, can you just say they're a guest player, you know? And so then they're going to come in, but, you know, you're not going to support them at tournaments as much or, you know, you know yeah. obviously if you're at the same tournament, then of course you, you, you know, but you're not going to travel with them or you're not going to provide as much, they're not going to get individual sessions, you know? So there's all these different ways that you can do it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can work out really well, but it comes down a little bit, like you said, to that that mutual agreement on what are the roles and responsibilities everyone has. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, how, how do you guys navigate that stuff in your environment? I mean, I think we're pretty fortunate in a couple of ways. One, we can provide everything that people need, right? Awesome. Of course, sometimes we have to go out for sparring, but then we can go yeah. out with them. Right. So then it's, it's, it's me and my coach going to a club for a, for a session. Right. That's number one. Number two is uh, we are able to support them financially a ton. Um, And so I think first of all, that builds gratitude, but second of all um, it's, it is also, as I hate to say it, it is a bit of a carrot on a string type of deal of like, well, if if you want the money, you're going to have to do things a certain way. Yeah. Um, so I think we're pretty lucky in that sense. I think we're also, yeah, there's a lot of factors at play here. Another one is, as as we were talking about uh, before we started the, the recording, but 
there is more of a European culture here of like, this is my club, right? And you belong to a club and a club is not just a, a for-profit enterprise where you go and you pay and you get lessons, but a club is a, uh, the, the original meaning of the word club. It is something that you belong to and you are a member of. And very often it is your home club and your parents are members and it is a place where people go. And so right. it has more meaning and you represent your club and you represent your club in competition all the time, not just once yeah. a year. You are playing for your club. Um, yeah. And so I think it it it's, it, yeah, it creates this idea that the club is where you belong and that is where you get your training and you don't do two days here, two days there, two days there. Um, so that's pretty rare. There are a handful of people who do it, but it's pretty rare uh, from what I've seen in Swedish tennis, that players uh, hop or, or or mix and match. Oh, that's um, great. It's just not culture that's uh, really good. Yeah, I think it's 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 a part of it anyway. It's cultural. I don't know if that's the the only factor, but that's part of it. So on our end, I think we, we're we're a little lucky in that we don't have to have to deal as much with that. But I, I think we do also, as you said, we do try to problem solve a lot. Right. And yeah. to fill in the gaps where, where, what are, you know, what is this player, what are this player's needs and how do we adapt? We're very flexible, which I appreciate. Uh, every month looks different. Every week looks different. Every year looks different. I feel like we're always adapting and adjusting. And so we're looking to say, okay, well, what does this player need? Yeah. They need extra fitness sessions. How can we get them? They need sparring with these types of players. They need matches. How can we do this? And yeah. so we're always looking to fill that gap. And I think, the the parents and the families appreciate that and recognize that um and realize that it's just easier and better to to let us do it than to to go looking elsewhere perfect perfect how do you guys handle this is related i I suppose um how do you guys handle if a player reaches out to your academy that you think is coming from an environment that's very strong um and the player or the parent says like hey we're just looking for a change and they're they're looking to get more information or to come try out your program, um, but again, they come from a place that you respect and that you think is like a good environment. You know, how do you how do you handle situations like that? I mean, I'll say first of all that I generally don't handle those situations just because I have. I mean, I have a boss who's in charge of the academy, and also those conversations would be in Swedish. So, um, <laughs> but although I've started doing some coaching in Swedish, which is a fun challenge, but. Nice. Um, a little bit here and there, but I would say, I mean, I think we entertain those conversations. I think yeah. it starts with a, it starts with a literal conversation, a dialogue of, okay, well, what, you know, how come and what, and what are you looking for and what's the deal? But I think we yeah. entertain those conversations. I think we, uh, we certainly, it ha- actually it has happened a few times in recent, uh, in recent months, but um, you know, figure out why and what's going on and, and, and bring them over for a couple sessions and see how they like it and see how do, do, do they fit in with us and we do, do we fit in with them? If that makes sense, you know, does yep. is the, the fit, the fit has to go both ways. Um, yeah. And so, and so trying that out and, and seeing how it is, but I think if, you know, we're pretty, um, we're pretty clear on like no poaching, which I think most people are these days, but we're pretty clear yeah. on like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna reach out to someone and say, Hey, you should come over here. Yeah. For um, sure. But if they reach out to us and go, Hey, we're looking for this and that, I think at the end of the day, you can have a lot of respect for the environment they're in, but sometimes it just doesn't click. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. Sometimes sometimes it's a great group with great coaches and a great environment, and they just don't have enough good players to train with. That can happen right. too. So I think what, we're open uh, to that, but you have to, it's a, uh, it's a little, you know, it's a little bit like dating, you know, you got to go through those, 
those stages of, of talking and trying out a few yeah. sessions and see how it feels and get to know each other. You really got to do it. At least that's the way we do it. I should say We're very sure. gradually. It's not as simple as like sure. show up and pay and, and welcome here. And that honey honeymoon phase is always like just the sweetest, right? It's like the player can do no wrong. The coach can say no wrong. And you just have these couple of weeks to start where it's like, wow, what a match fit in heaven. And it's only when you get into like the grittiness of like really getting into it sometimes where it's, but quick question before we get to, to subtract here. At what point in those discussions with a player um, would would your academy feel the need to communicate with the environment they're coming from and say like, hey, just a heads up, um, Johnny is like poking around at what's going on? Or do you feel like you have any obligation to say that to another uh, to another program? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I'll say just as you're thinking about it, the culture in Toronto, for the most part, has gotten really good about that. Like generally there's, okay. there's a group of us that are all sort of, I guess would be considered academy leaders that are all relatively around the same age. We all just want the best for players in Ontario and players in Canada. So most of the time, if one of us gets an email from a parent and we know they train somewhere else, it's usually a quick text to be like, yo, just heads up, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble, but they're poking around about stuff. And that usually leads to a conversation about like, like, oh yeah, well, like maybe, maybe, maybe you guys would be a better bet for that. Or, or sometimes it's like, like they've been training 20 hours a week with us. We had no idea that they were not happy with something. Right. And it's a really tricky balance because you certainly don't want to disrupt any trust that you might have between a player and a coach, sorry, Mm -hmm. a player and a parent who's inquiring about your program. But in the same sense, like, I feel like there's, there's a loyalty to um, the industry and the collective goodness of what we're all trying to do. Or like, I, I think it warrants a conversation to be like, yo, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a tough one. I remember discussions. This is way, way back when, but I remember some discussions about uh, selection for the regional center in Toronto. I mean, this is years ago. This is back when I was doing my coach too. But and I remember, I won't name any names, but talking with people at Tennis Canada and someone was saying like, oh, I like the way this person was doing it. I like the way this person was doing it. And the, the idea was basically, you know, one coach was essentially you know selecting kids based on results and saying and messaging the kids and the parents and saying hey you are welcome to train at the regional center you know two days a week or whatever it is Uh, these are the so on and so forth um and the other and the new i think the new person running the center had come in and said um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna contact the the coach first and let them know hey this your person has been selected just fyi let's sit down and chat and then i will message them or or it was something like that right Yeah. And I get where you're coming from. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think there's I think there's more to it, or at least in my head, there it's still a bit of a hey, gray zone, take another shot. But I think like it's it's tricky because our responsibility, all of us, our responsibility is always to the to the to the athlete, right? Mm-hmm. And we and as you said, first of all, like if this is information concerning the athlete, that information should go to the athlete and their parents first. If it's information about them, right? It is personal information about what you've been selected, what you've been selected for, your training and so on and so forth. That's number one. But number two, as you alluded to is like, I don't want that person, that player's coach to then uh, to be pissed off or to confront the parents or confront the kid or for that to affect their relationship in some way. Yeah. So, you know, because there is also a sort of assumed trust. In theory, it's it's a confidential 
communication between the parents and you. They're they're saying, hey, we're looking at this. So I don't know. I think it's tricky. I don't have an answer is what it comes down to, as always. Nothing's new in season two. But like I... I understand. And I think it does, it comes from such a good place. And I understand the the temptation to say like, no, as we're, because the, the alternative, as you alluded to, is that like coaches are poaching from other clubs and like they're hiding things. And then uh, parents and players feel like they can jump around from this place to the other. And coaches say, oh yeah, don't tell, don't tell your home club, but I'm going to offer you this much and this much or whatever. Of course, that's a really crappy alternative. Yeah. Um, so it does come from a place of goodness and, and what's good for the tennis industry, as you said. But I think yeah. at the same time, our responsibility is first and foremost to the athletes, not to the tennis industry, because that's a little bit self-serving, it feels like. So I don't know. It's it's just food for thought. Like I said, don't have any answers, but that's that's the dilemma I'm, I find myself faced with. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on something that you were alluding to, because I, I think part of this conversation is different than potentially... Um like a national program reaching out to a player. Cause I think the interesting part is like the reason I think these conversations come up amongst Academy leaders so frequently now, which I think is a really good thing is because it's not like we're, we have this, again, it's not like we're poaching or reaching out to the parent. It's the parent reaching out to us. So then it, then we have the conversation there, but it's different in the yeah. national environment where it's usually the national center is reaching out to the player. So essentially it is a bit of a poaching situation, right? In a sense where yeah, that's they, a good point potentially offer something different. And I've said this from the get-go with, um, I don't have all the answers for national selection criteria by any means, but I do think one that would save a ton of hassle for everybody is if the national center, um, if they operated in a way it was like, hey, our applications are now open for you to apply to be a player at the national center. Then all of a sudden, this conversation, the posting conversation is very, very different. Because if I have an athlete that is choosing to apply to be a part of the national center, that's that's no longer a poaching situation. That's just, that's the player thinking that there's something better for them somewhere else, which maybe is semantic, but I think like I think that really matters, you know. Yeah. And now the downside of that is the, the national center would say, well, we don't want to get flooded with 300 applications for the program every year. It's like, well, do it because you you know ahead of time you're going to know there's only 10 players you're interested in that group anyway. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I, think, I think it's really interesting. And, and and you absolutely make a really good and valid point about the difference between uh, a club or, an, or a federation reaching out to a player versus the player reaching out. Absolutely. It's totally different. I just wanted to throw that out there about oh, sure. who your responsibility is to with regards to communication. But, um, yeah. but that's your second point there. No, I think it's, I, I don't think it's entirely a semantic difference. I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think it does make, sure. it's a small difference, but it does make a difference in terms of, how how you justify things and how things are perceived right so okay because let me let's go let's go into this a little bit more if you don't mind so the way and it's true because I, I think i think both of us have great relationships with with uh like our national governing body and i'm sure you have that in canada and you also have that in sweden as well the way that they're doing selections for some of the stuff right now is that the coach in this case uh nicola hassing who's great dude re- really like that guy um, he's doing most of his communication through a player's private coach, which I think is like a good thing. Um, but then it seems like you're alluding to that. What do you think would be better in that situation? Do you think those conversations should go through a private coach or do you think the conversation should go through the parent or do you think it should be like a, the email or the phone call has, has all parties involved on it? No, I think that like, if it's discussion about, if you're discussing like, 
you know, player progress and video analysis and here's what we worked on today and stuff like that, then of course I think that can go directly to the coach. Um, I think it's just the more, the more big picture stuff um, that you, that you wouldn't want to leave that you wouldn't, you know, the more, the more personal stuff, I guess the not tennis stuff, but the more personal stuff, then obviously you wouldn't, you would go directly to the family or to the player. But I think so when you you're discussing, it's like an, if it's an invite to the program, you think that should go specific, directly to the, the parent as opposed to the coach. I'm not trying to put you in the spot here either. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know is the answer. Sorry to cop out, but I just oh, think no, it's, good, good, good. I think, I think it's an interesting discussion to have it's as simple as simple as that but i think it's i think that's more i yeah i think that's more personal than um than just pure professional details of um uh, of this is this is uh what we worked on and this is the stats and hey we're organizing this trip just letting you know and you know whatever whatever i'm also just realizing i think i might have said nico was the the national coach i meant hugo Sorry, Hugo DeFeo. Who I also- I was going to ask you offline. I was like, oh, I didn't know he was back at uh, at Tennis Canada. But um, look where I'm okay, from on Hugo. this one. They're both beautiful individuals. They're both great players, similar stature, both French names, kind of like my bad, yo, my bad. No, Hugo. Bad <laughs> love. I mean, his, I mean, his name's Nikolai. I don't. It's not. I mean, I guess Nico. <laughs> you could say is French, but Nikolai is not exactly the most French. Oh. But anyway. I now I uh, now I fought now I know where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah. Um shouts to Shouts to Nico. Missy Nico. Yeah, both uh, both great guys. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for everything. I think at some point we could probably dive deeper into the group training discussion because I, I feel like it was maybe a little all, all over the place, but like Oh, we went we went completely off topic. Yep. Yeah. But what I what I will say is like like all these other episodes that we do. Um, I'll think a lot about that group training thing and maybe we can revisit it on one of the upcoming pods because I'm sure your thoughts will get more comprehensive about it and I'm sure my thoughts will as well. Yeah, oh, definitely. That'll be good. We're just getting warmed up in season two here. This is just like a little teaser of what's to come. A little, hey, how are you? Just knock, kidding. It's, there. it's us. It's the gray zone. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work. All right. How about... Uh, no, that's all I got, really. <laughs> all right. Thanks for, Thanks for listening. Thanks to those of you who reached out and said you wanted to hear more. That was a pleasant surprise, but there were uh, genuinely more people than I expected. So that was nice. Oh, that's so. cool. Great. Are you happy now? All right. That was the gray zone. <laughs>